The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome. I'm Shannon Penrod. Welcome to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. My better half, Nancy Allspaugh-Jackson, is not with us this week. She is on vacation and we hope that she's having a really wonderful time. But I'm here and we got a big show planned for you. Leah Hirschfeld's going to be with us a little bit later on in the program. And oi, like we've got some stuff to talk about today. And I'm really wanting to hear from you guys and know your opinions about things because hello, Vanessa, one of the things we're going to talk about is your kiddo here in just a second. Um, but um, there's some stuff that's been happening and I and I would love to get you guys' opinions about things. You know that I always have an opinion, but I love to hear your opinions because I can't possibly see all sides of an equation, right? Um, and I'd love to hear, you know, because I think we need to, um, as a community, be helping each other to figure out how we want to handle certain things, right? Um, so let me say this before we get any further and dive into some of these topics. And let me just say, I've got a story in the news that I, I think is pretty controversial and I want to hear from you guys. But I also, you know, our guest, Leah Hirschfeld, is going to be here talking with us about research that is highly controversial and that I know you guys are going to have some feelings and some thoughts about and maybe, you know, have some things to say that could be earth shattering, changing, right? So um, let's talk about how you can get voice your opinion and how you can be a part of the conversation. We're live right now. Today is Friday. It's the 23rd of July, 2021. And uh, we're live for this entire hour. We're live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. You can write in on any of those flat platforms right now and we can hear from you. I just said hello to Vanessa on Facebook. Um, if you write in on their platform, it shows up here almost in real time in this format. And we love to hear from you. We are also live right now on our homepage, which is autism-live.com. And there is a chat there. It is not an interactive chat. I can't talk back to you in that format. And I can talk back to you both on screen and if I type something, which, you know, we all know typing and talking is not my forte, but I can. The other way I cannot, I cannot respond back to your messages on autism-live.com. But we really love and are keeping that chat open, especially for those of you who watch us when we're not live. It is ideal for communicating with us when we are not live. So we podcast our show. It's available as a free download wherever you get your podcasts. In fact, we are the number one rated autism podcast right now in the world. That's all because of you guys, because you've liked us, you've shared us. If you watch this show, you know, we don't have a budget to market. You have you know, I think twice we've run ads on Facebook in the 10 years that we've been on. So you're not seeing ads from us. We, we don't spam you. Um, we just are here and providing what we hope will be information and inspiration to that larger autism community that starts with people who are on the spectrum, of course, right? They are the beating heart. They're our why. Um, so of course, we we want to be inclusive of their thoughts, feelings, and concerns and opinions about things. But we also extend the invitation to everyone who loves those individuals, because we believe that with that larger voice that we can um, make something happen, you know, create an environment in which there is more equity and an environment in which people have the right to do what they want to do. 
I know sometimes it just seems like so duh. Um, but you know, we're going to talk about some of the roadblocks to that, um, on today's show, certainly not all of them, but some of them. So, uh, in any case, we welcome all of you, um, who want to be here, have a vested interest in those, uh, on the spectrum and helping them to get to the things that they so richly deserve. Uh, okay. So right in in whatever way that you can. Um, the chat is open right now on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. We love to hear from you. I do like to say at the start of the show that we have lots of experts that are here on the show. We're going to have a research expert with us, Leah Hirschfeld, in just a little while talking about some new research that I think has taken the breath away from many, and we, we really got to shed a light on it and look at what it is and what it isn't. Um, but anyway, we have experts on the show. That's a wonderful thing. I'm not one of them. Please don't confuse me with an expert. I have been covering autism in some form of journalistic uh, presentation for 15 years now. And so, you know, I've interviewed a lot of people and I like to say, not an expert, have an informed opinion. Um, that doesn't mean that my opinion is right. Uh, and I, I'm about to express some opinions in just a minute about a news story that's out that are going to I think makes some of you unhappy or mad or frustrated. And I want you to know that's okay. I still love you if you don't agree with my opinion. And I still uh, love, love you when you express an opinion that is not mine. I think that that's the bedrock of, you know, all modern progress is not agreeing about things, but, but, you know, realizing that everybody's entitled to an opinion. And I, when I say to you, I wholeheartedly want to hear your opinion. I want to know what you want to do about it. It's because I'm interested in having that conversation. It isn't that I've made up my mind and I'm immovable on things. Right. Um, so I, and I, as we start to discuss opinions, I think sometimes we get angry and um, I just want to say that let's keep it nice in the chat uh, that as you talk to each other, if you disagree with somebody, just keep it civil. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, don't forget to check out our homepage, autism-live.com. So whenever Nancy and I um, do this show, we do something called In the News. And Nancy's not here with me, so my counterpoint is not there. But we wanted to first cycle back to a story that we've been following here on the show. Um, that Tori Ridgeway is an amazing young man who is starting college. And <clears throat> he worked very hard in high school to make sure that he was performing at a certain level so that he could be considered for scholarships. He was granted a full ride scholarship from the ROTC, a full ride scholarship. Um, to a university that he wanted to go to. This young man has big plans. He's a mover shaker. He appeared before on the show and he's just uh, incredible. He's just an incredible young man. He earned the scholarship. Um, the ROTC has now taken the scholarship away from him at a very late hour when it's too late for him to apply for other scholarships, by the way, citing that in their guidelines that if you have any sort of a developmental uh, disability that you still received any support for after the age of 14, that you are not eligible to get this scholarship or um, uh, the benefits of it. Now, um, let's be abundantly clear here that Tori was not uh, hiding the fact that he has a diagnosis um, on the autism spectrum. In fact, the essay that he wrote that won him the scholarship was about how he's overcome the challenges having to do with being on the autism spectrum. So there was no hiding anything. Um, he got the scholarship completely on merit and talking about what he had done in his life. Um, I know the family is working really uh, hard to, you know, get a waiver so that like a little bit of wiggle room here where they have the ability to reconsider 
their decision to take away the scholarship. Unfortunately, when they sent the letter telling him that he was not getting the scholarship, it include, included them saying, we don't believe that he will be eligible or should be eligible for a waiver, which I t- I'll tell you, there's so many things about this that sting, but that's one that stings for me particularly. Like, you know, you're saying you, you don't you don't even think you have this thing in place to counteract this and you're saying you don't think you should be considered for it. I don't even understand why that, but I understand the military and I understand large organizations and it's a machine and the machine has to, you know, when when you've got an individual in a machine, sometimes it takes to get to uh, somebody with a beating heartbeat, you know, a pulse blood going to their brain who can look at it and go, Oh, okay. Um, But We've all been there, right? We've all had a moment where somebody was not looking at us or our kids or someone we love and seeing them, but seeing some form of a box of something that they think that they understand, which has nothing to do with you or your kid or the person that you love, right? We've all been there. We've all experienced it. And we know that fixing it and changing the opinion takes time. And Tori was scheduled to start school. He's starting school in the fall. But for this family, it is a financial hardship because he did not have an opportunity to apply for other scholarships, which he would have been eligible for and likely gotten because he already had a full ride. You know what I'm saying? So uh, we want to make sure that everybody knows about this case. I know when we talk about this, people have feelings. They're like, this is wrong. This needs to be changed. Yes. Here at Autism Live, we are not disagreeing with you about that at all. What we are saying is that in order to get from from here to there is going to take time. And his family is working really hard. I know um, his mom had, had written to us that he has successfully completed his training and that they hope that this will be something that they will recognize um, and in his appeal. Um, but in the meantime, you know, Tori had to already go for training. So they need some financial help and support. And they're not asking for people to cover his whole time at college because we believe that at some point it is going to get rectified, but they need help getting him started next month. So anything you got, check the couch cushions. This is this is one of those drives where we say, if you've got $5, please donate it. I've already donated. I donated. Um, I, I like to you know make sure that you know that I'm walking my own talk. I donated. I'm asking you guys to please give what you can. Know that you, I tell you, it will come back to you uh, more than double fold. We feel good when we support somebody else. And I know that there's going to come a time and a place where you're going to want other people to recognize what you're going through and try to give you that support, that help to get you to where you got to go. So let's all help Tori. I just want to remind everybody. Traven's got up on the screen where you can go for the GoFundMe for Tori. Uh, An incredible young man. He's one of ours. And we need to support him and his family. This young man's going to do great things in his life. And he is going to have um, a story to tell and a job to do that, that is beneficial to all of us. So get on board, help Tori in any way that you can. Okay. But now we're going to move um, to a new story that I want to talk about that um, just in the last couple of days, um, so much is happening right now with um, how do I want to say this? It's a tale of many cities, right? Depending on where you live, the rules will be one thing in terms of masks, in terms of COVID, in terms of the prevention of spreading disease, right? And it's not a one size fits all. Um, we're already seeing in Paris that there are mass protests of, of people um, not liking the government's policy on vaccination and on masks. And this is a subject that we need to wade in and talk about. Um, and, and it's not just going to be today because it's not one size fits all. And when society as a whole is freaked out about something, and let's face it, they're freaked out about this pandemic, it becomes a thing of, I want to make sure everybody gets like all about them. I want to make sure that I'm safe. I want to make sure that I'm okay. I want to make sure that my family has what they need. And the horrible thing about that is that often people who are differently abled are sidelined. That when the thought becomes more about me than about us, then it becomes harmful and uh, contentious for individuals who have different 
different needs, different abilities, different situations. So um, just this week, Southwest Airlines, there was an issue that there was a teen um, that was trying to board a flight that um, they, it was a California family that was on a Southwest airline that was due to come back to St. Louis. And they have a 17 year old nonverbal young man who I believe is on the spectrum and his, they tried to board the plane with him without a mask and the flight attendant said no. And then the mom started talking to the flight attendant about, you know, here's why you need to let him on the plane because Southwest Airlines has a policy that allows for people with, that are differently abled. Uh, I don't want to use their word. They say disabled. I don't like that. But um, that's their word. But um, it allows for different considerations. Uh, but there's a whole machine. Does this sound familiar? There's a whole machine. Um, there's a set of things that you need to do. So the mom, LaShonda Jethro, said, let me get my phone out. Let me show you where it says here that the doctor um, is, says that, you know, this young man. And she said in a, uh, in a news report, the mom, she said, listen, it's not that we don't try, but it's like next to impossible to keep a mask on this young man. And I think we know somebody or all of us or or have seen or met someone that we would understand how difficult that would be right it's not unreasonable to think um but the mom was trying to show the flight attendant um and you know if you've ridden a plane you know you're on the gangway and stuff is happening and they're saying no go back to the thing and you know, it, it, it's a very small space. Things get heated. I don't, I wasn't there. I don't know what happened, but mom was trying to say, you know, no, we have the note from the doctor. The flight attendant looked at it and said, yeah, but this isn't how we do this. Um, you're supposed to have a report. You're supposed to submit it to corporate. You're supposed to take that doctor's note. You're supposed to do whatever. I don't know if that's true. And I don't know if anybody had you know, it sounds like to me that mom had done everything within her power to, you know, she knew that Southwest Airlines had a policy. So she had a flight there. She knew that they were going to look for a doctor's note. I don't know the ins and outs of it. I don't know if Southwest Airlines had, you know, a way that, that they notified people, whatever. Um, but at a certain point, they, the mom, the dad, and the son got on the plane and it is being reported that at a certain point, another person got on the plane and asked mom to step off the plane. And that dad said, are you taking us all off the plane? And in that moment, they said, no, that only mom could not fly. Uh, which sounds a little wonkinator, right? I think we all could go, so what's that about? So it was alleged that mom, at a certain point in her explanation of what was happening, took her mask off. Now, mom says that's not the case. And I, like I said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But here's the thing. This this kind of, and, and the whole family ended up getting off the plane. That's that's the the long and the short of it. They all got off the plane. Uh, because you're not going to, dad's not going to fly home with the son and leave the mom standing in St. Louis. Come on, let's, let's like buy a vowel here. Right. Um, so I just feel like more and more of this is going to happen. And, um, and I want to be fair and look at it from both sides of the equation. Uh, I don't want it to be that we just start saying to ourselves, well, 17 non nonverbal young people who can't keep a mask on can't fly on planes. I, I don't want to say that. And what's more, I don't want the airlines to say that. So here's where we get into the controversy. Um, and uh, Trayvon, are you seeing that they're asking for the GoFundMe uh, link to be posted on YouTube? Can you just post it in the, the restream so that it'll go out to all the, the sites, please? Thank you, Tracy, for asking for that. Um, but okay, back to this. I, I don't, so my, my thing always is if, if we've got this thing, let's try to look at it from both sides. Let's do the perspective taking that we wish the world would do for us. So on the one hand, we have all these people on the plane 
a bunch of them who don't understand autism. They don't understand sensory processing. They don't understand, right? And their main thought is, I want to fly and I want to get home and I want to be safe, right? This is who we're dealing with. And then we have a corporation, Southwest Airlines or whatever airline, right? That doesn't want to get sued. Let's be honest. They want to make their money and they don't want to get sued. And then in the middle of all that, we've got people who aren't, who don't fit into a, a square peg, who can't be defined, who can't, you know, aren't going to be the one size fits all about, you know, you're going to wear a mask and you're going to wear it the whole time. Um, so, you know, we need to make everybody happy in this configuration. And as much as I would like for us to be able to change society's mind and say, you've got to consider us like, man. I'm so on that page and I would love to say that, but I think the reality is, is they're not going to do it in a quick way. More people who experience this among their family, the more people will, will do that. But it's very hard to convince someone who's self, 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 and doesn't have an understanding of what it's like for someone who's differently able to break out of that mode really hard. So what do we do? And, uh, you know, I think, the first thing that we have to be concerned about with as caregivers, as parents, is to know as much as possible. That I have no idea how much research mom did, but I can assure you from what it sounds like to me, she did a fair amount of research. But I want to say with love to all of you that, you know, one of the things that you got to do is not just talk to the person who is on, you know, the direct end of the phone. You got to ask for somebody who's got titles after their name and you should keep track of absolutely everybody you talk to. So if you're going to fly, um, I, if it were me, I would be on the horn and asking, can I speak to whoever your person is who deals with safety issues? I would keep trying to go as high up as you can look on the website if you can to identify a name of someone you think is the person to talk to. And then when you get that person, keep using their name when you talk to them. So if you're talking to Mr. Bill Winters, you say, Mr. Winters, I'm so excited to be talking to you today. I'm aware of the fact that your position is that you're the director of safety for, and I'm making that name up, uh, but you know, at XYZ Airlines, right? And I'm really excited that we're going to be flying with you. Here are the considerations that we have, and I want to make it work with you. How can we make this work? What does your team on the ground need to know? What do I need to have from you? And I guarantee you, it's still going to be problematic. But then when you're on the gangway and there's, and the, and the flight attendant who knows nothing about it is shaking their head and going, go back. Um, you know, that you are calm because you know, you've crossed your T's and dotted your I's. And here's the other thing that I want to say is that when you cross your T's and dot your I's, you are coming from that place of calm because you know that if it doesn't work out and it may not, you still may not get on the plane, but when it doesn't work out and you go back and say, you know, I talked to Mr. Bill Winters and I tried to tell her that I talked to Mr. Bill Winters. Now, not only are they going to make it right for you, but they're going to make it extra right. And you might get, you know, I don't know, you might get free flights for a year. Um, and so you don't, this, it's the same thing with IEPs. When, when the times when I knew I was in the right, when they would make a mistake, I would almost go, okay, good. Thank you. Um, I'll be sitting over here because I know you've made a mistake and I've got proof that you've made a mistake and everything's going to work out because of that. We do have a legal system and corporations don't want to be sued. And, you know, the, but, but, but the main thing, I think the most important thing is when we know that we've done everything that we're supposed to do and we have the names and the documents to line it up then we don't have to react. Yeah, it might mean that you don't get home today on the flight. Um, that's true. And that's an inconvenience. But that usually you'll be compensated for whatever the inconvenience was when you're in the right. Uh, but again, the main thing about that is that you will stay calm. And so, you know, things won't escalate as much as they might have had that not been. I hate that my advice to all of you is that we have to do more work that we have to do more legwork than somebody else who's getting on a plane. I hate that that is my advice to you, but I'm telling you we can be right or we can be effective. 
We can lay down in the aisle and go, I'm not going anywhere but here because you're discriminating against my child and against me and I'm following the policy that you're following and you're being difficult with me, right? We can do that, but that's not going to help us to get on the plane and make sure that, you know, remember that the other people, while it seems like they're just being difficult, what it is is they're just being self-centered. I want to be safe and I don't understand your circumstances and a, and a person who's 17 on a plane, not with a mask, like feels like, you know, maybe I'm not safe. And that's horrible because that's our kiddo, right? Um, but it's a reality. So I applied this to school, you know, when things would happen and there were things that would happen all the time that would leave my child out. Like they would decide, you know, there was a time in one of his classes where they decided to bake bread. Okay. They were teaching fractions and they were going through this whole thing and we're going to bake bread and we're going to go through all the steps and we're going to teach nutrition while we're doing it. The teacher was so excited about this because she had this plan of how she was going to teach a web of all these things and we're going to bake bread and we're going to work with the flour and it's going to help for their writing skills. And it's just fantastic, except that my child has a gluten allergy. And, you know, and I could have said, no, you need to stop that bread lesson right now. Um, and the teacher expected me to do that. When I said, I need to have a meeting with you to talk about the bread lesson, you know, she was like, well, I guess you're going to shut me down. And I was like, no, 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 that is not what I want. I don't want you to stop doing what you're doing um, so that my child can have it his way. But what I want you to do is include my child. So let's work together on how we do this together. Like if you're doing, uh, you know, there's going to have to be some, uh, you know, my, my kid is going to have to be gloved up and have a mask on way before a pandemic so that he doesn't get any free floating flower in his you know, eyes or mouth. Um, and, but, and, you know, and we'll go through this whole thing and here's what we'll do. And we want him to be playing with this and, and here's how we'll make it work together. You're going to have to give a little bit on your end as the caregiver and, and it's going to take extra. Nobody else's parent had to come in and go through the whole lesson and go, well, let's do this at this point. And let's do this at that point. Right. And it was extra work for the teacher. And I had to acknowledge that. And I wrote a beautiful letter saying how great it was that she included. Yeah. Would I have liked it if she picked something that didn't involve something my child was allergic to? You betcha. You betcha. But we work with what we have. And in that way, my child was included. My child learned the lesson. My child did all the things. Um, you know, our, our theme this week is giving the right pay paycheck. Last week, it was teaching the right lesson. And I think when we put these two things together and we, we apply this to how we are going to move about the cabin as we go through COVID, ask yourself, what is it that you want your child to be able to do? Who do you have to talk to? How much praise do you have to heap on them? It is going to be extra work. And I'm sorry that it's extra work. Um, but if what you want is for your child to be there and experience it and have that experience, or if you, what you want is to fly home and be home and be safe and be together, we are going to have to take extra steps. We are going to have to do that. So that's my soapbox for today. And, and let me say um, that I think that this family was remarkable. I'm not saying that they did a single thing wrong. I don't, I think mom did research. I'm just saying add an extra layer to it. Uh, and she may have, I don't even know that. Um, but you can, you can bet that she's going to be in conversations with Southwest airlines, figuring out what they owe her for her not being able to be on the plane with her child. Uh, I'm saying hi to Vanessa and I'm saying hi to Christina and people are writing in, uh, there's the GoFundMe for you guys. Um, Vanessa says, I've flown with Southwest and have had carried hard copies. I always plan in advance and get there early to speak with all the staff. Yeah, when possible. But like, remember that they're flustered too. Um, there we go. And and I love Vanessa says, and now that teacher knows how to help other kids with allergies. I think it's even a step more than that, Vanessa. Now that teacher 
has an has a mindset that's like I, when I'm planning a lesson, am I planning it for all the kids in my classroom, and what are the potential roadblocks that we run into, and does that mean that the lesson stops? Nay, it doesn't. Uh, you know, I and I had to be cognizant of the fact that I was coming in in a year after this, the entire district, the entire school district outlawed birthday cakes for birthdays because a parent had come in and said, you can't serve cake in a room because my child can't eat it. And so their mindset was that I was going to be that rigid. And I was like, no, I don't care if you serve cake, but you know, here is a year's supply of Laura bars that are gluten-free. And if you, if somebody comes in to give a treat, my kid gets a Laura bar and I'm not going to, you're not going to have to call me. I, I'm not going to have to come drop it off. Here's a year's supply of them. And if you run out of them, let me know. Um, but that was her preconceived thing was, oh, no, it's a parent who says nobody can have it if my kid can't have it. I love some people who feel that way and feel that way adamantly. I still love them. I disagree with that. I don't think that's how we set the world up to accept us and accept our kiddos. I, th I think we have unfortunately we have to do more of the legwork than anybody else. I hope that changes sometime. Uh, okay. So that's what I wanted to say about that. I've run over and we have the fabulous Leah Hirschfeld with us and we're going to open up, we're going to crack open a whole new controversy. Uh, we're just going to spread the controversy from edge to edge on this show today. So uh, Leah joins us. Uh, she's part of a <laughs> Wonderful. I, I see you laughing at that, but I think it's true, right? Oh, it's totally uh, true. Totally true. <laughs> and uh, Leah's part of a team that at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders that does research. I'm going to let her tell you about that. She joins us on a regular basis along with uh, one of her uh, colleagues, uh, Karen Nolte. But we're glad to have you this week, Leah. And I'm, you know, I'm glad that you're here because this is sensitive. So tell yeah. us about you and then, talk, and then tell us what we're talking about today. Uh, I love the tee up. Um, so I'm Leah. I'm I'm a research uh, coordinator here at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, um, which means I get to spend every once a month I come on the show, um, unless Karen Nolte is coming on, our, our head of research. Um, and I get to spend my days asking research questions, um, managing research projects, helping with figuring out the best ways to answer questions that'll hopefully help our the communities we serve which are you the, the listeners today um and and their families um and also you know our clinicians and and our funders and everyone like that so um it's pretty lovely i have a, I have a pretty nice job um and i love coming on the show and i love getting to talk about super sensitive to topics so um so today what what i'll be discussing um you know, and this is something, Shannon, we, you had, you had had someone email, um, quite concerned, and I think appropriately so, about this misportrayal of autistic individuals um, committing crimes more frequently than non-autistic individuals. And it's definitely a misportrayal. I'll start that off. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, if you, if you Google it, if you, if you look at it, um, the media definitely seems to um, highly stick to that to any autistic traits that they can sometimes know um and it's and it's and it's a real misconception it's a real misportrayal um and the research is really inconsistent um i will say the research mostly tends to show off that autistic individuals are not more likely to commit crimes um and are more likely to be victims um much more likely to be victims but it is inconsistent it's not a well it's not very well researched and it's not um consistently researched so it's going to be a fun, fun 20 minutes. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I just, I want everybody. So I, I had said this at the beginning of the show, but for people who've tuned in, you're going to have thoughts and feelings as we talk about this and it's okay to have thoughts and feelings. We hope that you'll share them in the chat. We want everybody to maintain civility when you're talking about this, but because it might make you angry. Um, some of the things that people say and refer to, I'm going to venture you were already angry about it, but I always think that if we shed a flashlight, you know, take a flashlight, shed light on something, we're going to get further in the discussion. So let's wade in. Tell us what the research says. I love it. Um, 
Yeah, so so I'm going to talk today, uh, you know, I try to come on and I try to present a research article. And then I try to walk through the research article and kind of both explain what was found so that everyone has access to that article and can use it for their own purposes if, if necessary. And also so that as if you end up reading any research articles, um, you can also look at it and say, okay, this is how I get this information. This is how I get that information. So today I'm going to talk about a, an article that came out in 2019. So just a few years ago by Slaughter and his, and his colleagues at um, the University of Texas Houston. Um, and it talks about criminal behavior and school discipline in juvenile justice involved youth with autism, which is quite a mouthful. But if anyone's trying to find this article, this is gonna be Slaughter and colleagues, 2019, criminal behavior. Um, and I'll start by first teeing everyone up. This study found that autism, youth with autism committed less property crimes and also found that youth with autism was not more likely to commit crimes. So they were not more likely to commit crimes and they were even less likely to commit property crimes than the controls in the, in the article. And um, the article looked at juvenile justice involved youth and they looked at records and I'll kind of walk through the methods there. And they looked at records of individuals with, with the juvenile justice system um, with autism, with special education, without special education, and with a learning disability. And I point that out because it's really important to know who the controls are in each study and who they're comparing against. So one of the side, one of the downfalls, the limitations of this study is that they didn't do controls outside of the juvenile justice system. They have a lovely set of controls inside of the juvenile justice system, which is awesome, but none outside. So that is that's a limitation, right? Um, but so what Slaughter and his colleagues did. Just to be um, clear yes. though, so what we're saying is that everyone who was studied are kids who had already been identified as having an issue in the criminal justice system. So we're not talking about kids that, mm -hmm. you know, had never had a run-in with the police. We're not talking about kids on the spectrum who'd never had a run-in with the police. We're not talking about neurotypical kids who never had a run-in. We're just talking about kids who have already been identified rightly or wrongly as, you know, somebody who's part of the criminal justice system. Exactly. Yes. Thank okay. you, Shannon. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and I'll also, you know, I will also hint, um, Slaughter and his colleagues were also really, not only are there misportrayals in the media, right, that's concerning, but there's also a lot of research to show that students with disabilities are reported to be one to two times more likely to receive an expulsion or suspension from school. And if you receive an expulsion or a suspension from school, you're also more likely, three times more likely to come into contact with juvenile justice services. So if you're already someone with a disability, you're much more likely to have all of these risk factors that associate you, unfortunately, with the juvenile justice system. So this is, again, why this is such an important thing to look at and to, to really address it and, and see what's going on. Um, and, and I'm just going to pause there for a second and say, we've already talked about this in other areas on the other shows this week that just um, yesterday, Bonnie Yates, special education attorney, was talking about the, the couch to prison pipeline. Mm -hmm. And on Monday, I was talking on the show about how difficult it is that when kids behave in a certain way, if we don't mm -hmm have a qualifying diagnosis and a way to fight it, the kids get expelled. And we know that that's ridiculous because if what the kid wanted was to not do the math, now we've now they got the paycheck and they learned all I have to do is pick up the chair and throw it and I don't have to come to school. And what do we think they're doing when they're at home at school with nothing else to do? We're creating an environment in which they're gonna find trouble or trouble will find them. So not not a no not a no brainer, but pretty evident um, that this is not the way to do things. Didn't mean to interrupt, but just wanted to reference those other times in the shows this week that we talked about this. So go oh, ahead. Interrupt this. This is perfect, and I I love honestly. I get I'll throw all of the research, and then uh, Shannon, you always bring me back, and you're like, so what did you end up saying? I'm like, oh right. So no, it's perfect. Um, and and I'll also you know I'll mention too um talking about things that you guys have done this week or might, you know, audience members might have seen this week. Um, the New York Times uh, just reported an opinion piece about the um, Indiana Police Department. And the Indiana Police Department had special, like I think it was the whole state, had special training to, to understand police, uh, teens, to understand teens. Just teens, like not teens with any special anything, just to understand the developmental needs of teens. Because to Shannon, your point, right? Like, they are not, uh, right now, developmentally, teens are trying to understand how to be individuals. And to some extent, that includes 
bucking the system and going against, I mean, as if anyone's ever raised a teen or known a teen or been a teen themselves, right? Like that, and, and developmentally, they're not at the same place that maybe an adult is, right? And so police officers who received this training had a much better understanding of teens and, um, and understanding to deescalate, to use their words, to, to repeat and things like that, to repeat their words back to them to make sure the teen knew that they were being listened to. And again, it's an opinion piece. So, but in Indiana, they saw a serious reduction in rates of um, teens being, um, being, being brought into the justice system. Um, and I think it's so important because that's, again, that's, they're just teens, not teens with any kind of special diagnosis, not with anything going on, anything unique, um, other than the fact that they're just teens. And they all, and the police department needed special training and it was mind boggling, right? So like, again, I, it's back to what you were talking about earlier as well, this perspective taking and understanding and just um, understanding what's going on. But anyway, so, so there's a lot going on here um, and it's really important and there's a lot that everyone's been talking about, I feel like this week. So this is very timely. Um, so getting back to Slaughter and his colleagues, just a great, I feel great last name for, for this topic. Um, so Slaughter and his colleagues looked at all the criminal case records for all the juveniles in Connecticut from January, 2006 to December, 2012. So for six years. Um, and they included adult records as well so that they could assess the continuation of offenses into adulthood. Um, and they could only, they did have another limitation. They could only identify juveniles with a primary education classification of autism. So if you had a secondary classification of autism, that was off limits for the record keeping, um, like the, the, the researchers didn't have access. So that, that, that group was not in the sample. Um, and all of this, you know, a good paper, a good author will write out their limitations and will point out what those were because they want their science to be replicable and they want their science to be good and important. And they can't say this is totally perfect for everyone if it's not totally perfect for everyone. So they will point that out. If you scroll all the way to the bottom of a, of a research article after the discussion, there will be a part that says limitations as well. Um, so make sure you read it. It's really important because, you know, as you're going through research, you'll be like, this is awesome. This is great. So cool. And then you read it and you're like, right, 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 right. Take a step back. Some of this is not necessarily generalizable, which is in the case, which is the case here as well, actually. So, as they went through the records, they found 143 records of individuals um, in the juvenile justice system that had a primary educational diagnosis of autism. Most of these individuals were male, 86%, and most of them were white, so about 77%. So this is where, again, this doesn't necessarily generalize if you have a child who's a girl or not white, this might not necessarily apply. So again, it's it's important to notice these limitations and to, to recognize them um, when, when it's something like that, when it's not necessarily indicative of, of everyone. Anyway, um, their ages, the age ranged um, from six to 20 years. The six breaks my heart. Um, and the age of first offense also ranged from six to 16 years. Again, incredibly young. Um, and about half of the individuals were eligible for free or reduced price lunch at their school and half of the individuals had a prior offense history. And I just pointed out, just so we understand kind of what those records looked like, because that's the population we're looking at. Um, and then Slaughter and his colleagues matched the records of individuals with autism to, again, those controls. Again, these were only individuals that were already in the justice system. So we're not talking about um, any child who hadn't had some contact with juvenile justice. But so they matched the records of individuals with autism to other juvenile offenders, including individuals without a special education de designation, individuals with a special education designation, and individuals with a learning disability. Um, so what did they find? And I hinted this at the beginning. I love to say it at the beginning. So if you have to sign off, you get the you get the takeaways. Um, but they found that just um, juveniles with autism were less likely to commit property offenses. So those property offenses are vandalism, robbery, burglary compared to the controls. And they found that there were no group differences found for crimes against persons. So and, and again, this means that juveniles with autism, with special education, with learning disabilities, without special education did not differ statistically from one another with regards to crimes against persons, status offenses, drug law violations, or public order defenses. So it means that individuals, justice, individ, justice, juvenile justice 
um, involved youth with autism were not more likely to commit any kind of offenses, and they were less likely to commit property offenses, and they were actually also less likely to um, recidivate, so to again offend. Um, though those differences between the groups were not statistically significant, but I think it's important to mention because it's a good finding. Um, um, and so, you know, there are again these limitations. Um, no community sample outside of uh, youth involved juveniles. Um, majority of the individuals are in the study were white. They were also male. So it's hard to generalize to other populations. And the records are official crime data. So police discretion or interactions or crimes that didn't lead to an arrest or arrest that were diverted by the court were also not included in the data. Um, and that's all in, if you scroll down to the bottom of any research article, like I said, those limitations should be there. Those The authors have spent a lot of time uh, thinking about the limitations because they also can't get accepted by um, publications if they say my research is perfect and has no limitations. Because uh, everyone's research does. Everyone's does. We try to be as good as we can and it's, it's not necessarily feasible. So um, always scroll down to the limitations. Always, it's like a paragraph or two. Always read it. Um, and so the next thing that I have to talk about is kind of how can we help autistic individuals not be victims and not fall into this um, kind of, uh, I'm trying to think of a good word, but. Um, the system. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, so, so several literature and advocacy groups will recommend actually introducing your child to local first responders. Um, I know I was reading uh, on one group that did this, I think in Oregon, and they had autistic individuals come and meet with first responders at the station. And the first responders had a huge, you know, they, they took away so much, but the kids did too. They loved it. They loved hanging out with the first responders. They loved seeing all of the gadgets and gizmos. I mean, I have a nephew. He's super into police and firefighters. Um, like they're they're cool. They're really cool. So it, it's um, good for both the child and for the first responders. Um, try to have a local first responder come to your class um, to do a presentation or to get to know the local children. You might even have a parent who's already in your like a parent of one of your children who's already in the first responding world um, who might also be able to come in or come bring their friends or etc. And talk to your clinical supervisor. It's always, I always recommend talking to your clinical supervisor. Um, candidly about the concerns you may have. Um, brainstorm together the ways to talk to your child, to that local community provider, um, and to provide your child with some strategies, like being able to say that they're autistic, um, being able to say that their, their name, their home, their phone number, a few other things that might just make sure that they're safe or as safe as they can be. Um, unfortunately, in the world that we currently live in, which will hopefully change one day, um, as Shannon had pointed out, but we have to meet the world as it is. Um, and I will also mention, you know, there was one study that I was looking at as I was reading through all this literature um, that had a group of participants as jurors and in a, a, a mock trial. And half of the jurors were told that the person on trial had an autism diagnosis, and the other half of the jurors were not. The trial, the mock trial just went on and, and did the thing. Um, and the jurors who were told that the individual had an autism autism diagnosis were more likely to be understanding to the person and on trial and um, were more likely to be be kind to that person who was on trial other uh, compared to the jurors who did not know about the diagnosis. I know that's a whole nother conversation about if you want to ever say that your child has autism or not. I'm just giving the information out there. Uh, again, I'm not, there's a lot that goes into that choice. Um, I don't, I don't want to get into that. I'm already tackling this conversation. Um, but, but it's something to be aware of, um, that it can potentially also help. I know, again, lots of other things goes, goes with that choice. Um, and then additionally, one other thing that you can talk to your, um, your clinical supervisor with is to talk, to teach your child assertiveness skills. And I know, I think Karen talked about uh, cyberbullying a few months back, maybe. Um, but talk to your clinical supervisor to teach your child assertiveness skills so that if they're in a situation that they don't like, they can say, I don't like this. They can say, no, they have opportunities and, and strategies to, to get out of that situation. Um, that's my soap opera for today, my soapbox. But that's um, a, it's a pretty big soapbox. And I, I think it's super important. And I'm glad that you mentioned the part about talking to your clinical supervisor. 
because we, you know, if you are someone who is on the spectrum or you have a, a child who is on the spectrum, we all look, we all need to make decisions about how we feel about certain things. And I know it's a volatile subject and it's a concerning subject more now more than maybe more than ever. Um, but you know, how you feel about first responders, like what, what is your, and I'm not trying to tell anybody what they should feel uh, at all, because if your first reaction when the police show up is a feeling of, I don't know if I'm going to be okay, I don't want to invalidate that. But I think we have to make a decision about how we, how we interact with these individuals and how we teach our kiddos to interact with these individuals and, and it's a power packed concerning subject, but I can tell you that there are more and more things for instance, like be safe, the movie, which is Emily Island's um, take on teaching kiddos on the spectrum and teaching law enforcement and having them come together so that if law enforcement is, is brought to a scene that the law enforcement has a little bit better of an idea and that the kiddos who eventually become teens and become adults um, have a better idea of what the interaction looks like. Cause it's two different communities. Police are taught, you know, X behavior is dangerous and we can argue about that. We can absolutely argue about that. And we can, you know, say we, we don't like that, but we have to understand that's where they're coming from. And so I go back to instances like the, the kiddo that we saw in Arizona that was playing with a string. He was, his mom was in the doctor's office across the street and he was in the park and he was playing with a string because that's his sensory thing. And the cop came up and saw that and thought that the kiddo was a drug addict because he's predisposed to see that when somebody is playing with a string because somebody hasn't trained him well enough. And the kiddo, when he said, what are you doing? And the kiddo saw the police officer got concerned and started to run away. And now we have the police officer tackling him on the ground and scraping him up. And because he had a preconceived notion that I should be afraid of this police officer. And, and, you know, it's that thing, you know, I'm not saying you're not wrong. Uh, you know, I'm saying that it's important that we decide what, what, how do we want the interaction to go and knowledge is power. And training is power. It's not going to solve everything. I'm not trying to put that Band-Aid on things. But I know that we, uh, it's funny because we just had Twinkle on the show on Monday. Twinkle, this wonderful um, performer that goes uh, and performs all kinds of places, but also is on the library tour and goes to libraries uh, and performs for kids. We uh, went once to see a magician at the library and took our four-year-old son and the magician said something about to the kids here are all these like four-year-olds and we lived in a very ethnically diverse community and they said to the kids what do you do when the police come and they all said run and hide oh geez and 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 i went oh you know and understood that i was in a community where this was what the feeling was and that it was being taught to the four-year-olds and my child was being raised in this community. Now, I don't have control over whatever everybody thinks, but I, I knew in that moment as a mom that I that's not the lesson that I wanted my child to learn. But further, I wanted to make sure that the, the police in our community did not you know, we're not going to do something to a child who's on the spectrum. Now, I happen to live in the community where Emily Island lived. So I went to go do something at the police department and I didn't have to because she already had. And the police were very well trained. So I lucked out. But I still had to acclimatize my son. And we made appointments where we would go to the firehouse and we went to the police station. And anytime they had an open house, he would go. And he toured the jail and he saw all of it and had an understanding of who these people are, what they do, and that if I am behaving a certain way, I have an expectation that they are behaving a certain way. But if they start behaving in another way, I need to very appropriately do certain things in order to stay safe. And it sounds redonkulous because nobody should have to teach that to a four-year-old. We could like, we could crochet that on a pillow, but if you do, you do. And we do, we have to teach the four-year-olds and we have to teach our kiddos on the spectrum um, 
you know, what and how to react with first responders so that they're not running away from a firefighter, so that they're not running away from a police officer. Um, but on the flip, the other thing that the police, the police taught this to my son because we had had an incident a couple of years before where someone had been portraying a police officer and they were up to all kinds of no good. So at that time they were teaching all of the kids that if you're interacting with a police officer that you have the right to ask to see their badge. And that if the badge is heavy, then it's a real police officer. And if it's light, they're a liar. And that person you run from. So, you know, there are lots of lessons. And and we're not all going to agree on which lessons we want to front load our kids with. But you got to think of your kid's total safety uh, or your total safety. And again, that thing that we go back to about, you know, you can be right but are you getting what you want? And what I want more than anything else is for our kids to be safe. Um, like I also want them to learn and I want them to grow, but we can't do that if they're not safe. We run out of options. So um, I'm glad that this study exists because I think it lays groundwork, uh, Leah, that it's, um, you know, I think too often people will say when something goes wrong and if they find out that it's somebody on the spectrum, they go, well, that's why it happened. And that's not why it happened. I think if we were to take every single one of those kids that are in the study that this was done on that were in the criminal justice case, uh, criminal justice uh, system, if we were to go through them like a social worker with a fine tooth mm -hmm. comb, we would find something happened that was not what it should have been for that kiddo, that they didn't have the teacher, they didn't have the support, they had adults around them who abused them, we would find that there was a problem. But it's great that we have a study to hold up and say one of the problems was not autism. Yes, they might have had autism as well, but you know, um, it's other things. But I do think it's important that we start to get our heads wrapped around that. Kids aren't in the criminal justice system because of something that is their fault. That's not how they come into the criminal justice system. They come into the criminal justice system because somebody has failed them. Um, and as a society, we got to start to work on that. But we can end the conversation uh, with people when they go, well, it's just autism. No, that's not the case. And I will also say, you know, Slaughter and his team did a really amazing job on the introduction for this paper as well. It points to all of the things you just said, Shannon, as well, about that there's this misportrayal, that generally it's a failure of the system previously, that it, unfortunately individuals with autism are more likely to be bullied or victimized or not have the resources that they need. Again, they talk about that, you know, they're more likely to be expelled. And if they're expelled, they're more likely to have these instances of, of juvenile. Um, and, and they also talk about, you know, unfortunately, the way that our world is set up with the core symptoms of ASD, that there's challenges in social situations, demonstrating atypical reactions to sensory input or exhibit, exhibiting those um, repetitive behaviors or interests, like playing with a string, that those may not help individuals with autism if they're in a situation with emergency responders. Um, and so, and the introduction is great to really kind of hammer home all those points and to potentially hand out to someone and say, no, read this article. Like these are all your misconceptions and they point that you're wrong. Like this don't have these misconceptions. And, and, and it's, it's a great article. So, um, you know, if, if you, if you need it, if you, if, if anything like that, reach out to research at, at centerforautism.com. Um, also, if you have any, I always put this plug on, um, if you have anything, any other topics that you want to talk about, um, that you want us to come on and talk about, please, please, please reach out to research at centerforautism.com. Um, we'll also be able to address that. We come on every month, me or Karen, um, and we're more than happy to take questions and, and hopefully answer and address anything or at least provide some research that uh, anyone can go armed into an IEP meeting or clinical supervisor meeting or into a police station or anything else that might be. So Yeah. yeah. And I want to I want to say that it goes uh, uh, both sides of it. So if there's a if you're looking at a piece of research and you're like I don't understand this I don't get it you can you can show it um, to them and say can you explain what this actually means because I'll read sometimes and I'll go well it seems like it says this but then later on I read and it seems like it says something different and of course the headline in the news says something completely 
different than what it actually says too often that happens, right? So there's that. If there's a specific study and you're like, I don't get it, please explain it to me. Great. But there's the other side of it too uh, that I love when you guys say, what's the research say about X? You know, if there's like fill in the blank, uh, you know, what does the research say about, uh, you know, should I, should I be feeding my child grapes? Do grapes help? Um, you know, and then sometimes uh, we've had the experience where you've come back and said to us, there's no good research on this. And that's helpful. Unfortunately, that's- I feel like that happens more often than I would like. Um, but a lot of the times we also can say, you know, there's there's the beginning of research on this. Um, and we can kind of talk about what that looks like in the research field. Um, that's a lot of like case studies. So only one participant, things like that. That usually means, uh, I know we're running out of time. Um, that usually means that, that that research is brand new as well. There we go. So we thank you so much. Again, research at at centerforautism.com. If you guys have questions and want to reach directly out to Leah and her team. Um, And uh, great. We thank you so much for all the time and effort that you put into this. It's super exciting for us to hear these things, even when it's controversial. Shannon, Uh, thank you so much. I love being on the show. I was just thinking when I was coming on, I was like, I don't think I was on last month and I I missed it. I missed it in my heart. We miss you. Uh, So fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us. All right. We're out of time, you guys, and it's the end of the week. So I want to wish everybody a really wonderful, safe and happy weekend. If you need any of the resources that we mentioned in passing, please make sure that you write in and tell us. Uh, we're back next week. Got some exciting shows and have Dr. Doreen Grampuchet back with us. So that'll be um, super fun. If you have questions for her, for Bonnie Yates, our special education attorney that we'll have on Thursday, please uh, feel free to write those into us on autism-live.com on the chat. Or you can send them directly to me at s.penrod at autism-live.com. We'll see you next week. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.